moving on here, getting a little bit late towards 7.30, so we need to get get started here, and I'll try to talk fast tonight. Philippians chapter 2, if you'd open up there, please. And uh, I want to begin the message this evening by asking you a question. You don't have to raise your hand to answer this, and you don't need to visibly respond in any way. But my question is, how many of you believe that you are right now perfectly in God's will, and you are exactly the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. Now, I didn't ask you to raise your hand when you answered that question because I think that most of us probably wouldn't raise our hands. And uh, that's because maybe for two reasons. One is that we don't think that we're everything that God wants us to be. And if we were, then our humility, if we were everything God wants us to be, would prevent us probably from raising our hands. Well, in Philippians chapter 2, there are stringent demands that are placed upon Christians. Paul speaks here about unity in the faith, and he tells us that this unity cannot be reached unless we are willing to humble ourselves until we are abased, until we are willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, until we will esteem others better than ourselves, until we're willing to put ourselves down and to serve others that will never come into the full harmony of faith that he describes in this chapter. The example that he puts before us is the Lord Jesus Christ. He was willing to step down from his throne in glory and go to the cross and die for us because he loved people. And he didn't consider that it was too high a price for him to pay to uh, deliver us from our sins, to go to that cross. He was willing to leave the glories of heaven And then, of course, Jesus was willing to make that ultimate sacrifice. And this was really the the condescension that is the pattern for our humility. Well, when we read this, the first thing that probably comes to our mind is that the bar is set too high. I mean, here's something that we really don't think that we're able to do. This is impossible because we really don't know any Christians who've ever achieved such a lofty standard. And we feel like if we try to do this, then we're only doomed for failure in our Christian lives. Well, after Paul talks about Christ's humility, he moves on to another section. And he talks about living and working out your salvation. And he says there that you are to do everything that God tells you to do without complaint. You're not to murmur. You're not to dispute with God. He says that you're to be blameless and you're to be harmless. You are to stand up for God in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. And... He says, you're supposed to be a light for Christ everywhere that you go. And so we read that section and we think, well, the standard is set too high there. There's no Christian who lives like this. I mean, Philippians chapter 2, this has to be a chapter that's written for aliens. There's no people on the earth that ever live this way. So Paul comes to the next section here and he gives us the human example. And he says, this is really not impossible at all. Now, he's already given us a divine example. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he comes back with human examples. He says, you can do this. It's not impossible to do the things that are contained in this chapter. Why? Because he knows people that have done it. So I've titled my message tonight, The Three Pulpiteers. Now, pulpiteers is a, just a word that I made up. It's not the three musketeers. It's the three pulpiteers because these are three men who worked very closely together, and they had, as Paul describes in verse number 5, the mind of Christ. And we're going to read about them tonight. Let's stand, please, if you would, and we look at God's Word. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, and I'll start reading at verse number 17. We'll read down through verse number 24. 
He says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for everyone who's come out. And we just pray, Lord, as we discuss this word, that we'll have a very much better understanding exactly what you expect of us. And that we can see that what you've told us in Philippians chapter 2 is not an impossible task for Christians. Bless the message tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In the beginning of the message, I made a statement that if we were living up to the full potential of our uh, salvation as being servants of God, that our humility would prevent us from raising our hands to say that we do such things. Well, strangely enough, Paul didn't do the same. I mean, there are instances in the Scripture where Paul not only gave us examples of Christ, but he also told us that it's possible that we could follow him. We could look at his example, and we could follow him, and we would be headed in the right direction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 33, and on through uh, chapter 11, verse 1, he said, Even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Then he says over in the fourth chapter of the same book, For though ye have ten thousand instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be followers of me. Now, Paul said those things, not because he wasn't a humble person, because really he was, and we're, we're going to see that in just a minute, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he wrote the Scripture. And so if God told him to write this, then this is something that has to be true of himself. And he's showing us here that it's not impossible for anyone to do exactly what he says to do in this second chapter because he's one who did it. Paul was one who did God's work without complaining. He didn't dispute God's direction for his life. And it really didn't matter whether he was in prison or whether he was free. He, he, he didn't complain against what God told him to do. He was blameless. He was a light to other people. So much so that he said that he was pure from the blood of all men because he had not failed to teach the entire counsel of the word of God. So Paul begins this section telling us that we can do this by giving us a self-example. Now number one, we have Paul, an example who is a self-abasing servant. Verse number 17, he says, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Was Paul a humble person? He was. And although it might not seem to be consistent to use himself as an example and say that he was humble, he truly was. Now, the difference in Paul is that he really had confidence in his abilities. Not because he thought that he was better than anybody else, but because the, the, the power of God and the Holy Spirit working in him inspired that confidence. He didn't suffer from 
uh, feelings of hopeless inadequacy because he knew that the power for his living, the power for uh, doing what God called him to do was completely dependent upon God. And he never doubted God's power. And so this is the reason why he could make himself an example because he knew that the power that he needed to do all this work that God called him to do is the very same power that's available to every Christian who's here tonight. Now, in the 17th verse, though, we do find here that Paul gives us an expression of humility because what this is is actually a a statement of deferral to their labor for Christ. Now, I want you to notice that he respected their service. He respected their service. Now, what he does here in this 17th verse is that he actually puts his labors uh, below theirs or put theirs above his and he commends them for their service. He says, if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. Now, that might be a little bit hard for us to see this, what exactly he's talking about here and how he defers to them. But what he's really speaking about here is two different types of sacrifice. Now, the Philippians, they would recognize the reference that he makes because this is really something that refers to the practice of the pagans. What they would do is they would take an animal sacrifice And while the animal was burning on that hot altar, the priest would come along and he would take a cup of wine and he would pour it over the sacrifice. And that was called a libation. What would happen is that the hot fire there uh, coming up from that sacrifice would immediately vaporize the wine and it would disappear. Well, what Paul is saying here is that your sacrifice is like that animal that you put on the altar and my sacrifice is like the, the libation. It's like the, the wine drink offering that's poured on it. And so by, he's saying then, your offering, the animal offering, that's better than my offering. My offering is one that's inferior to yours. And so by extension, by talking about the offerings, what he's actually saying is that you're better than I am. And, and he's following that very same principle that he taught earlier in the chapter where he said that we are to esteem others better than ourselves. So there we find Paul giving a human example. He shows the principle, working out the principle that he gave in in, in the first part of the chapter. Now the question for us then is do we follow Paul's example? Do we do the same? I mean, do we really value our work that we do for Christ higher than anyone else? I mean, do we think that what we do, nobody could do without what we do, and so we're, we're just better than everybody else in our service? Well, I think that what we really need to do, every one of us here, and that especially means those of us that are in leadership, we really need to respect all of the service that's done in the church. Everything that's done here is valuable. Now, there are various aspects of the ministry that are carried on, and those ministries have value in their own sphere. And if those things aren't carried on, then we just can't do the kind of worship and the kind of work that we need to do in this church. Now, the practical application of that is the comparison that Paul made in 1 Corinthians when he says the church is like a body. Remember, we talked about that in our study, that the church is is made up of many members, and every member of the church has his function. Uh, The eyes in your human body, the eyes, the ears, your nose, your feet, all of those things are important to your human body in the sphere in which they work. And that's the same way it is in a church. We have all these different members, they have different jobs to do, and all of those are valuable in their sphere of service. So even though Paul here is the great teaching apostle, yet what he does in that verse is he defers to the Philippians 
Because he says, your faith, your support, that's what makes my ministry possible. And that's how I feel as a pastor of the church. Your work, what you do here, you make my ministry possible. And without you, we just can't carry on the work that we do. Now, the second thing that we note here about Paul's human example is that he rejoiced for their sufferings, uh, for his suffering, rather. In the end of chapter 1, he said, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, remember that chapter divisions were not put into the Bible until many, many, well, actually hundreds of years after this was written. And so we ought not to think that because we're reading here in chapter 2, and this is not chapter 1, that somehow the thoughts of the first chapter are disjointed from the second chapter. What he says here to the Philippians, he tells them, you're going to suffer for Christ. I mean, God has ordained it that way. That's, that's just the way it's going to work out. And he tells them that in that second chapter that Christ was willing to do so much. He never opened his mouth. He never complained about going to the cross and... That's what Isaiah said about it. He opened not his mouth. And so Paul says, that's the example for you. Whatever goes on in your life, whatever you're asked to do, whatever hardships you encounter, he says, endure all of these things without complaint. Now he gives the human example. He shows us how that it's actually possible to do that. We see how Christ did it. We know the Bible says that he did. But Paul comes back with the human example because he says here, I rejoice with you all. Well, he's in prison. He could be martyred at any time. You, you read his life story as you go through the Bible and you find out he went through beatings, there was shipwreck, there were perils, all kinds of things that he went through. And yet he says here that he rejoices. Now, we needn't think that Paul was some kind of a, a superhuman that didn't experience or, or wasn't, didn't feel things like we feel them. I mean, the, all the heartaches and pains that, that we go through, Paul felt the very same things. He was flesh and blood. When, when he was beaten, he bruised just like we would. Uh, when he was cut, he bled. When his friends left him and forsook him, that hurt his feelings. I mean, he, he's just like us in that area. He felt all of those things, and he shows us that it's humanly possible to endure those types of things and to do what this chapter commands. You see, somebody in the church may hurt your feelings. You may think that you're unjustly treated, but your character as a Christian is really borne out by how you react to such things. Now, do you have the mind of Christ? And that means are you able to suffer those kinds of things without complaining, without bitterness? It can be done. Paul is the human example. Well, we might still be a little bit uh, unconvinced about this because, I mean, after all, we're, we're talking about the Apostle Paul, and some of us may still think that, yeah, well, he was superhuman. He was able to do things that other mortals couldn't do because we really can't see ourselves in his shoes doing these kinds of things. And so, well, he, he's something greater than we are. And so, if that's the way that we think, then Paul comes back to us, and he has a second example for us, and his second example is Timothy. Timothy is the submissive student. Now, Timothy is not an apostle, doesn't have the same calling that Paul does. He's a convert of Paul's uh, from the city of Lystra. And you may remember, uh, that's the place where Paul was stoned, and then he was left for dead. Timothy was a young man who was raised by a Christian mother and a Christian grandmother, and Paul became, became his spiritual mentor. 
he accompanied Paul on some of his missionary journeys, and so he became a very trusted, loyal friend of Paul. Now, I want you to notice, though, a great statement that Paul makes about Timothy in verses 20 and 21. He says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Now, what Paul is saying is that there's really nobody like Timothy. What he's done, he's abandoned all of his self-interest. The only thing he has on his mind is serving Christ's interest. What Timothy did was to submit himself to Paul's teachings. And and so as he learned from Paul, he started to become like Paul. That's why Paul said he's like-minded. He's developed these certain kinds of qualities that, that Paul had. And so he had the same passion. He had the same zeal that Paul had. And yet Timothy was not an apostle. Timothy is a human example. He's somebody of lower rank than Paul, which shows us that it's not impossible to live the lifestyle in this second chapter because Timothy was able to do that. Now, I want to list for you here in this next part some of the characteristics of Timothy's life. And I'm going to consider these things one by one because really what we need to do is see that the task of being what chapter 2 tells us that we need to be is really not that hard when you begin to break it down. It's like uh, Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, add these things. And he talked about adding things to your faith. He said, like, like add virtue and knowledge and, and temperance and patience. Add those things to your faith. Well, here is, are some things that we can take one at a time and we can see. Is it possible for us to be this kind of person? What about Timothy? Well, first of all, he was reliable. When Paul gave him a task to do, he could count on Timothy to carry it out. Now, we don't see any case in the Scriptures where Paul ever said to Timothy, I told Timothy to do something, and he just didn't do it. Now, others, he said that. There were some people who didn't obey, but not Timothy. You could always count on Timothy to do what he was asked to do. Well, how difficult is it for us to be reliable? And we need to ask ourselves, how good is our word? When we say that we'll do something, whether it's volunteering for something, whatever it is, if we say that we'll do it, are we going to do it? How hard is it to be reliable? Second thing about him, he was available. God's work came first. Whenever Paul needed him, Timothy's Johnny on the spot. He's right there. When Paul said, I need you to go to Philippi. I need you to go talk with them and tell them how I'm doing. Give them a report. Timothy didn't say, well, I I can't do that. Uh, I've got other things I have to do. There's so many other things. I'm so busy. I can't do what you ask. Well, Jesus addressed availability when he gave us the parable of the Great Supper. It tells about a man who had prepared a supper for a great number of guests, and he had everything prepared, and he sent out his servant to tell the people that the food was prepared, and now you can come in and partake of the supper. But when he did, he found out that there were many of the people who began to offer excuses why they couldn't come. This is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 14. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. First said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, Well, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee, have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And that's the one I really believe. But Timothy didn't have any reservations like that. I mean, he, he didn't offer any excuses why he couldn't serve. He was available. So there's our question. Are we available for God's work? Is that impossible? Can we be available to do what God wants us to do? It's not impossible to be available. It's just that 
we have certain priorities that are higher than this priority. And that's why we're not available. But it's humanly possible to be so. Number three about Timothy, he was impeccable. Usually, when, you, when I use the word impeccable in a sermon, we're talking about being without sin. And I'm not telling you that Timothy was without sin, but I am telling you that he'd been proved. That Timothy had uh, demonstrated that he was faultless in his duty. Verse 22 says, But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served me in the gospel. So the Philippians already knew the integrity of Timothy's character. He'd been proved. And so Paul never would have said this if, if he said, Well, I'm going to send Timothy to you. And the people would say, Oh, no, not Timothy again. Not that sorry guy. I mean, he won't do anything. We can't get along with him. He is so self-serving. They didn't say that about him. They had confidence in him because they'd seen he'd been proved in the ministry. Now, what about your service? Now, I can imagine that Timothy started out in small things, you know, just little things that needed to be done. And as he did those things, he began to receive the commission and promotions to do bigger things. Jesus said, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. You know, Timothy was such a faithful person that Paul was able to recommend him to the Ephesian church to be their pastor. You remember when we were talking the book of Ephesians and we were going through those first few chapters of all that doctrine, the difficult things there about the sovereignty of God and all those different things that Paul was teaching? And it seems like those Ephesian people just took it all in stride. It wasn't difficult for them to believe at all. And those are the people that Paul said, here's a good man to be your pastor. And so he sent Timothy over there to help them. Now the question, of course, for us would be, it would be what about the integrity of our service? Do we do the small things and can we get those jobs done? And when we do, are we capable of being promoted to the bigger things? That's the integrity of our service. It's humanly possible For us to do that, we can do what God has called us to do. And so we have reliability and availability, availability, impeccability. All of those things are humanly possible. Now, there's a fourth characteristic about him. He was sacrificial. Uh, Paul says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. He will sacrifice himself for your welfare. You know, I've told you about this example before, about somebody that I really admired for being sacrificial. My wife's mother was that way. I, I remember when, uh, when she was still alive that we would go to her house for the holidays and, and uh, she'd invite all the family over there and, and my wife has a, has a big family. And so she would prepare the dinner and while everybody was digging in and stuffing their faces, me included, she wanted to serve everybody first. And if, if she waited till the very last, and if she didn't get anything, that didn't bother her. I mean, if she just saw that everybody else had a good time and they got what they needed, it was all right with her. Paul spoke of a me-first syndrome when he was speaking to the Corinthian church. Remember how he talked about how they had just abused the Lord's Supper? And he said this, he said, For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. They made a feast out of this. And he says, one is hungry and another is drunken. Everybody was just grabbing for themselves. Well, a question, is it humanly possible to give up something for someone else? Well, we know that it is. I mean, some people have even given their lives for other people. 
A fireman rushes into a burning building to try to save one with the potential that he could lose his life to do so. Is it humanly possible that we can sacrifice for others in a much less way? Of course it is. That's humanly possible. That's part of chapter 2. Another thing, fifth thing about Timothy, he was charitable. Paul said he will care for your state. It means he genuinely loves you. He cares about what you're going through. And the question for us is, do we sympathize with people? When we see that people are having hardship and they're going through some bad times, do we feel the heartache that they feel? What about times when you hurt someone else's feelings? Does it bother you when you do that? Do you care about how another person feels because you've treated them wrongly? You know, as the pastor, I have to make some tough decisions sometimes, and the outcome of those decisions, sometimes people don't like them. And I have to be concerned about why they don't like it. I mean, I have to be concerned about what's going on in their thinking and and what upsets them. And I really do feel bad when I have to make a decision that, that hurts somebody, that troubles me. So do you see what I'm saying here? Is living a Christian life, like Paul explains in chapter 2, is that impossible for us to do? Is the standard set too high? Well, I don't think it is. If you start breaking all of this down, you start to see the individual virtues that make all of this work. And so, just like Paul says, you can work out your salvation. It is possible. Christ never asks us to do something that we can't do. So we have Paul's personal example. He's the apostle. And you shouldn't discount his example. But maybe you do. I mean, he's an apostle, so you discount that. Well, next we come to Timothy. Well, Timothy's a preacher. Shouldn't discount him. Maybe you do, though. I mean, there are some people who really do think that the preacher has some great ability that no other person has to be able to contact God and they have the, has the favor of God. And that's not really true. Maybe, maybe you do hold the preacher to a higher standard than you do other people. And if you do then Paul's got just the person for you because he's got an example here that you're not able to get around. This is not an apostle. This is not a preacher. This person is Epaphroditus, and he's the extraordinary, ordinary believer. Now, discount all those others if you want, but here is our attainable example. And Paul actually says more about him in the end of this chapter than he does about himself or about Timothy. He, he says here in verse 25, let's read this and let's go on down to the end of the chapter. He says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me." Now, we know more about Timothy and Paul than we do about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is not one of the more prominent Bible characters. And I suppose that if Paul had wanted to point out some great servant of the Lord, some, uh, another person who was probably much more well-known and someone of more prominence, that he would have gone to someone like, for instance, uh, Crispus. Crispus was the leader of the synagogue in Corinth, and he became a Christian. 
And Paul could have decided, well, what I need to do, I need to follow his exploits. Now, let's see how he develops his service. He's a more prominent person. Let's use him. But Paul doesn't do that. He, he comes and takes a person here that as far as the world knows, here is a man of no consequence. And yet Paul says he is a great example, these principles that he's outlined in chapter 2. Now, we're going to notice some things about him. First of all, he was a close friend. Paul calls him a brother. Now, understand that. You really have to understand the Roman world at Paul's time because thinking about brotherhood and fraternity, that was practically an unknown concept to these people. These are folks that very closely guard and regard um, nationalities and and, uh, religious background. They observe class distinctions. And so you just didn't mix people up like that. You wouldn't take somebody who was a commoner, so to speak, like Epaphroditus, and put him with somebody else who's out of his class. But here you have Paul. He's that, remember, that that great teaching apostle. Uh, He could have claimed superiority over everyone if he wanted to. And he could have, if he wanted to be the, he could have been the ruling prelate. He could have been like the pope if he had chosen to be so. But here he takes this one individual man, just the common man, and he calls him his brother, the great apostle. I mean, you know, if Paul was here today, somebody would want to dress him up when those, in the nice robes and the, and the pointy little pointy hat that they wear and carry around his little scepter and shake it at everybody. Uh, that's what they'd want to do to Paul. Well, Paul wasn't that kind of guy. So he just looks at Epaphroditus and he says, he's my brother. He was very endearing to Paul because of his character. Second thing about him, he was a companion in labor. Now, he's not called to preach. He hasn't been recognized as a ruling elder throughout history. But he joined himself to the very same kind of work that Paul did. He worked side by side with Paul, ministering to Paul's needs. Now, I don't want to dwell on this point very long, but... I need to say it because this is instructive for the church. I need to tell you about it. A good church member will minister to the pastor. He'll give the pastor his honor and give him his due. He understands that the pastor labors for the good of the church. So he won't begrudge the pastor his needs or the needs of his family. Epaphroditus was a person who was there for Paul. And even when it was thought that Epaphroditus might die because he was so sick. Paul said, I'll lose such a valuable companion that it'll heap just more sorrow upon me. You know, I, I certainly don't wish that any church member would die. I, never, I would never wish that. I remember when Gary, though, he told me that he was going to go to Africa to see Wilson Mongo. And I said, could you please take a few church members with you and leave them there? Um, I didn't really have anybody in mind, but... There are some church members, folks, who make the pastor's life miserable. This is why Paul said, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as if they must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And what he means is, the harder that you make it on the pastor, the harder you make it on you. I mean, the pastor is there to serve your needs. He's there to minister to you. And when you make it hard on him, all you're doing is making it hard on yourself. It doesn't make sense to do that. So it's better for all of us in the church if we are companions in labor. We're not adversarial towards one another. And believe me, it's not impossible for church members to live this way because many of you do a very good job of taking care of the pastor and ministering. Third thing about Epaphroditus, he was a comrade in arms. 
a fellow soldier. That's what Paul says. So Epaphroditus was a man who recognized spiritual welfare, uh, warfare. You know, there are too many Christians who, who think that the battle is in here with other Christians rather than thinking that the battle is out there with the world. And so we get in big fights right here in the church building with one another. Well, that's not the way it should be. And I have to take you back to that example I gave some time ago uh, about that church in Kentucky that was located right next to the Civil War battlefield. And they call it Battle Baptist Church. And physically and spiritually, that church was split right down the middle. It kind of reminds me of that... Uh, of that little boy that was talking to the pastor one day, and they were looking at pictures in the church building. Church had a memorial hall, and uh, they had pictures of deceased church members there. So the little boy asked the pastor. Uh, the pastor was one who was was noted for, well-known for long-winded sermons. And so the uh, little boy asked the pastor, said, who are all those people? And the pastor said, well, these are people who died in the service of the Lord. And the little boy said, which service, the morning or the evening? Well, Battle Baptist Church, when I was talking about there, that's one where they were fighting, and what happened is the church began to die spiritually. Well, a good church member and a good Christian is one who recognizes that the battle is out there and not in here. We're fellow soldiers, and so we don't need to be fighting one another. We don't need Benedict Arnold's in the church. Fourth thing about Epaphroditus, he was a courier of news. Epaphroditus was the messenger of Philippi. He's the one who brought news from the church to Paul. The church uh, sent him there to minister to Paul. And uh, Epaphroditus, whom Paul loved so much, thought that the church really had more need of him than he did, and so he was willing to send Epaphroditus back to them. Now, there's a very interesting word that Paul uses as a description of him. It's the word ministered in verse number 25. He said, "...he that ministered to my wants." That's a word that's translated from a word that means someone who serves at his own expense. Whenever there was a public servant who, who really was dedicated to public service, so much so that he served at his own expense, this is the word that they use for him. Now, did you know that with church members, a good church member is somebody who volunteers his time? Not every position in a church can be a paid position. We need volunteer help. And you ought never to look at church work as something that you won't do unless you're monetarily compensated for it. Now, there are people, many of you right here tonight, the Wednesday night crowd is the good crowd, I think, uh, because you'll, lots of you will work 40 hours a week and you still come over here to church and when there are things to be done, you will do those. Well, is that impossible? Well, you know it's not. Many of you are involved in that kind of work. So it doesn't mean you have to be a preacher, an apostle. Epaphroditus wasn't. And he put in the time, even when there wasn't anybody to help him. Now, finally then, concerning this attainable example, you can be the same kind of church member, same kind of Christian as Epaphroditus because he was a compassionate servant. Epaphroditus was so sick that if God had not intervened, he would have died. And yet his concern was not about his own sickness. He was more concerned about the people in Philippi. And he was worried that they would be upset and they would be distressed if something happened to him. Now, I don't think he had in his mind that, oh, I'm so valuable to you that you can't do without me. Uh, he wasn't like that. I mean, people like that are so conceited that you can't do anything with them. 
But he was compassionate towards these people because he didn't want his death to be their pain too. Now, do we have enough compassion that we would never even want to get sick because that would cause a hardship on somebody else? Now, most of us really don't want to get sick, but the first thing that we do when we are sick is we want everybody to sympathize with us. We've got to cry on somebody's shoulder. Now, you understand what I'm talking about here. We want people to feel sorry for us. And there are some church members that really get bent out of shape about this because they got sick and nobody called them. They're sick and nobody came to see them. Nobody visited, and so they get very angry about that. Well, you know, I know that we ought to visit the sick, and the Bible says that that's a thing for us to do. But at the same time, it never gives a sick person a license to berate the church because they were slighted. The mind of Christ, what Paul's trying to point out here, is that we bear these things. We go through this without anger and malice. I mean, if nobody ever came to visit you when you were sick, it wouldn't be right on their part, but neither is it right on your part to, to kiss the church off because you get mad about it. You know, some people just get upset. They leave the church, and if they don't leave the church, they make everybody else as miserable as they are. Well, Epaphroditus is proof that, that ordinary Christians can have the mind of Christ. In fact, living like Epaphroditus should not be an extraordinary thing for any Christian to do, and that's because this is nothing more Everything that we talked about tonight is nothing more than reasonable service. And that means that this is what you ordinarily do. To Paul and to Timothy and to Epaphroditus, this was just normal Christianity for them. This is Christian service. This is what it's all about. There's nothing here that's above and beyond reasonable. Now that brings me to the beginning. Well, I'll read back to beginning the message. Your last statement for the listening sheet tonight is, Christ never asked for the impossible. He only asks for what is reasonable. There are human examples here who had the mind of Christ. The apostle had it, the preacher had it, the ordinary believer had it, and that means that you can have it too. So we're never to look at what we read here in Philippians chapter 2, or for that matter, in any other part of the Bible that enjoins us to the service of God. Never look at that as a standard that is too high for us to keep. It has been done, and there are examples of it. So Paul said, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasures in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Ever thought about verse number 10 there? I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and so on. What if you could be the kind of person that said, it's okay to get sick because I will see God's power in me when I get sick. I just trust him and I'll see God's power. That's the kind of man that Paul was. So you can live out Philippians chapter 2 because not only is there a divine example, there are also human examples. Now I ask you one more question. Raise your hand here tonight if you're not a human. No hands, so it's possible. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what we learn here. Lord, we know the bar is not set too high for us. And if we follow you and do your will, that you reward us, you give us the power that we need to do all these things. We can live like a Paul or like a Timothy or even like Epaphroditus. Bless us, Lord, as we can contemplate these things and 
Just help us to be the kind of people you want us to be. Bless in this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's please stand as we sing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided.